here we are. Again today. Here and now. And I'd like to share a few thoughts on learning ecstasy. And I don't think it's common knowledge. I don't think this is as widely known as it should be. And it is that you can actually learn to have ecstasy. It's a kind of skill. Now, when we say the word skill, it's not exactly adequate because skill implies some kind of performance, some kind of action, some kind of dexterity or movement with the hands. And learning ecstasy, in a sense, is a skill, but not entirely. There's a little bit more to it than that. And many a time, when we talk about learning, we actually talk about knowledge. We're we're implying information. We're implying that, well, there's some sort of teaching which is sort of there to be learnt, right? And this would be the difference between the scholar and the performer, right? This might be our sort of spectrum of two extremes and we all fall somewhere in between. If the scholar, on the one hand, has vast amount of information and knowledge and all sorts of references and history and literature behind them and they can recall them at will, right? They can just speak about them straight away. Then that's like one side of learning. And the scholar, when you look at it, doesn't really do anything. They don't really have an action that goes with that, right? Their action is to read and write and talk, which is really just the vessels or the modes of knowledge. And then the other side of our spectrum is the performer. And the performer is someone who actually has to do something, right? They actually have to move their hand. They have to move their body in some sort of sequence, right? This would be like the athlete. An athlete is not really concerned with theory. Now, of course, they do do some theory, right? They would have to have some component of theory or mindset. You can say, well, their psychology is part of their knowledge, part of their learning, part of their skill. But ultimately, it's really the performance. It's really the delivering of the goods. Another example would be in the musician, right? If you're learning an instrument, you actually have to be able to move your hands and relate to the object, to the instrument, in a way that is performative. It's action-based. And, of course, in music there are also components of theory, components of knowledge, components of information that you must learn. But it doesn't matter how much information you learn, 
if you can't perform, if you can't play the instrument, then you can't play the instrument. There's no more reading of books that can make you play better, right? It's just practice that's going to make you play better. Now, we can get into the mechanics of learning because when we go down that rabbit hole, we actually realize that, well, it's possible to read a book that will tell you how to practice better, right? And that's where these two things sort of start to nicely intertwine and interact with each other. They're not so clearly separate, right? Because we do have musicians that have absolutely no knowledge and no theory and are brilliant, right? They are performers. We do also have scholars that have only knowledge and they can't perform, right? But more generally, we're all a mix of both. We're all a mix of these two things. So where does ecstasy come into this, right? Where does learning ecstasy fit in this spectrum? And the answer is that, well, you really do need both of these sides, and yet you need something more. You need the, the extra spice, the extra knack. And that is really, it's really, I want to say it's your intuition. It's your own intelligence. It's your own ability to figure it out for yourself. And yet there's something else which can go a long way as well, in addition to just your own intelligence, which is the removal of things, right? And we talk about this a lot in meditative practices and in spiritual circles, right? A lot of the time we're actually taking things away, right? The, the scholar is concerned with more knowledge and more information, and the performer is concerned with more ability, more dexterity, more stamina, and all the rest of it, right? But when we're learning ecstasy, there's actually a number of things that are actually taking away. They're actually a, a, a negativity in a kind of thing. They're, they're, they're a subtraction, right? Because so much of what ecstasy is, is the absence of other feelings, Right? I don't feel sad, I don't feel tired, I don't feel gluggy, I don't feel lost, I don't feel particularly hard or soft, I don't feel particularly anything really. And that, of course, strangely is its own feeling, right? You can add to sort of cap that off, I don't feel apathy or I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel indifference right? And when you have the absence of these feelings, then, well, then you're on your way to ecstasy. Then you're on your way to having a new feeling. And a lot of it goes to the level of the mind as well, right? I don't have an idea. I don't have a theory. I don't have an explanation. I don't have a story. I don't have a memory. 
I don't have a rationalization. Oh, that's a good one. I don't have a reasoning, right? Very big, the rationalists. They're very big on thought. And yet the absence of those things is really where ecstasy is born. It's where you're starting to work with ecstasy in a very different way. And I think this this is so important to realize. And these things don't exclude each other, right? You can't you can't just take one of the three of our parameters because you do need knowledge for ecstasy, right? You do need a performative ability for ecstasy. So the spectrum between the scholar and the athlete or the musician is still there. You can't sidestep that. It's just that you also need this third component and maybe that's where some beginning meditators get it wrong and they say, okay, well, I'm just going to take that third step and I'm not going to have these sides of knowledge and performance, even though really meditation is performative, right? Quite literally. When you're meditating, you're performing, you're, you're bringing your body into a sequence of relating to the environment on cue, right? You could even say that it's very, very much quite difficult. And that's what, that's what many, beginning, <laughs> many beginning meditators run up against, right? They can't sit still. They can't stop thinking. They can't just cross their legs and close their eyes. Because they're so irritated, they're so overstimulated, there's so much going on. And they say, well, I want ecstasy. How do I get rid of this struggle that I've got? How do I, yes, okay, I'm on board with the Buddha saying non-attachment and impermanence and all that. How do I do that? Perform. The answer is perform. Get good at your performance. You can't sidestep that. Now, another way of looking at this idea of learning ecstasy is what I got from Osho. And Osho has this series called Ecstasy, the Forgotten Language. And this has been a very influential series of talks on me. It's very much shaped the way I've thought about the world and my experiences. And it's led me to a number of amazing ideas. And it's it's something like a 15-hour, probably longer, it's maybe like a 20-hour lecture series. And it's just simply called Ecstasy, the Forgotten Language. And it's really impossible to summarize and to distill, okay, well, what's the idea there or what's the concept there or what's the sort of take-home lesson from that 20-hour series. So I'm not going to try and do that. But what I will say is that it's interesting that he calls it a language. It's interesting that this idea of words as a functioning component of our experience in life 
are important. Words matter and they have a role to play within this way of being that we are. And to say that ecstasy is the forgotten language is to imply, at least for me, that there was a time when we could talk in such a way that would bring about ecstasy, that would bring about our liberation. And that language was forgotten. That way of talking was forgotten. And if we just look at how language arrives in a child, right, through child development, it's, it's basically like, okay, so you have the baby and the baby interacts with the world and objects and then they put labels on the object and from there they're labeling objects and it goes from individual objects to collectives to symbols to conceptual and it becomes ever more increasingly complex. And at some point, they would have had this experience of ecstasy and been able to put words to it. And then that would have in itself been able to feed back into the experience and then led to more ecstasy, a continuation of that ecstasy. But... To say that it's forgotten or to say that something's gone wrong is to say that, well, now we can no longer do that. We can no longer say these words for the effect of bringing about our ecstasy because we've forgotten how to and something in the process has become tangled, right? The words have gone out and they haven't come back in the right way. The words have lost their function within the world. And another key insight that comes from this series by Osho is that ecstasy is a natural state. It's not something that you attain in the same way that a musician earns their skill by practicing their, mu- their music or the scholar earns their knowledge by studying. It's something that actually naturally wants to come through. It's something that is inherent in each of us, in all of us. And it will come through if we remember the language, if we remember the way of talking. And we can also get a little bit more abstract and say that language is not necessarily just words. Language can also be just modes of communication and even more broadly than that, a way of interacting in the world, a way of having this sort of loop of things going out of us and then into us and through us, beyond us and to our core. And another very important phrase for me personally is sort of a, another spin on this Osho series, which is just remembering ecstasy like to say ecstasy the forgotten language is something but then to just you know we can simplify that and say just remember ecstasy 
remembering ecstasy. That is the first step in learning. To remember that it's possible. To remember that it's important. To remember that it really is foundational to the good life. To realization. And of course I need to remind myself of this. right? I forget again and again. As vast and as numerous as my experiences of ecstasy have been. I still need to remind myself. I still need to be coming back to being a student, right? We're all students on this. We're all needing again and again a nice kick up the butt to just say, hey, you need to focus on this. You need to remember this. And when your vision of ecstasy is clear, it's easy to study, right? It's easy to practice, The musician who practices has a very clear vision of the joy and the beauty of music. The scholar who studies has a very deep relationship to the magic of knowledge. They can see the magic of knowledge. They can see the wonder of opening to other cultures and history and the humanities. That's easy for them. That's really their genius. It's their ability to see that. And for us common peasants, well, it's hard for us because when it comes to study, it's, it's grudging and it's like, oh, what's the point? And it's tedious and it's like, oh, I have to do the, the process. I have to learn. I have to cognize it. I have to research. I have to ingrain it. I have to repeat it. Oh, why am I doing this again? It's so hard. It's so hard going. And really, to summarize this nicely, we would say, well, learning to learn is the key, right? That's another sort of cliche insight that dovetails nicely with this. Learning how to learn. But that's incomplete because you'd have to say, well, what do you learn? What is it that's important to learn? And then you have the whole sort of inquiry side left open to this thing of learn to learn. So that's learning ecstasy. That's some thoughts on remembering ecstasy and also on Osho's series, Ecstasy, the Forgotten Language. And I believe... It's not common knowledge, the significance of ecstasy. It's something I've talked about before. It's something I will talk about again and again. And it's something I do, of course, as I said, need reminding of myself. And to just sort of bring this back to earth, I'd like to say that learning ecstasy is the same as learning a musical instrument. It is the same as studying a subject at school, right? There's, there's, there's textbooks on it and you go through the process. And the process of learning is not always pretty. It's not always so sexy and glamorous. It does have tedium to it. And that's where, of course, learning how to learn comes into it. But at least now you know. 
At least now you know the importance of it. And when you get a good taste of ecstasy, when you really start to get somewhere with it, that's when the learning is easy. That's when you see, okay, we've got to get down. We've got to get to work. We've got to commit to this. So these have been a few words on the importance and the significance of learning ecstasy. Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you're having a good day. And we'll be back soon with more.